0: Listen to me very carefully. (laughs) Have you ever said that? Have you ever said that maybe as a parent to a kid or just to a friend or a spouse about, like, listen really carefully. (laughs) Like, I need you. Maybe you've been, somebody said that to you. They maybe um, grabbed your face or you grabbed a face and said, I need you to listen really carefully. To, about, to what I'm about to say, because I want you to hear it exactly as I'm saying it, not sort of, kind of like it, exactly, because the details of this and the carrying out of this are paramount to life, right? And so that's what we're going to hear today in the text, and we're going to hear this, honestly, this tragic ending to an amazing story of this story of Moses. If you're a guest today, welcome. If you're worshiping online, welcome. We're at week eight, the last day of our series in Exodus on the life of Moses. And I really, really want to come back someday and do this again with different parts because it's impossible to do the book of Exodus in eight weeks. Um, but we've we've hit the high points that the Lord wanted us to for this, this season. And we're going to end in this one. And we're actually not going to be in, in Exodus today. We're going to be in Numbers 20. So, if you've got your Bible, go ahead to Numbers one. Just go to Numbers one and park there for a moment, and allow me to just give some context to where we are in in, in the day. So, number one, the number, uh, the book, the title, Numbers, is uh, our English word is is from the the Greek translation that they called the Septuagint, and it it's arithmoi. It it meant uh, this. Counting this because they had two senses in the book where they were counting the men for wars they're going to go into the promised land. The Hebrew title is b'medar uh, midbar, and it's, it simply means wilderness. And so it's this this sense of of this spinning that's been happening for 40 years, and that's what the book of Exodus covers for us: is this 40 years, and it it goes from the giving of the law at Mount Sinai where we we were. Uh, Weeks ago, And it's going to conclude here with them on the edge of going into the promised land and seeing what God will do there. And notice in Numbers chapter 1 what it says. Check out the first verse of Numbers when it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness. It doesn't say and there, does it? I said and, but it doesn't say and. It says the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness. So if this is the first time you've been here in the eight weeks, what I said on week 1 and 2 was... Torah, Genesis to Deuteronomy, this set of books that we call the law, at the beginning of Exodus and Leviticus and here in Numbers, the Hebrew has the word and in the text. It's not rendered in the English. It just says, the Lord said or the Lord called. And the reason that's important is this. The books of Genesis to Deuteronomy is a story. They're a story. They're a story. They're not disjointed, they're not random, they're not just, you know, whatever, and let's just throw it in there and see what sticks. God's telling a story from the creation into Deuteronomy. And in this text today in Numbers, he's saying, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying this, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head by head. And so jump over to chapter 20 and we'll pick up the story there. In chapter 20, verse 1, he says, And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. Now check out the screen. Okay, in, in, in fairness to them, because we're, I'm going to give them a hard time again today for murmuring and what they did with Moses, but you spend four days there, much less 40 years, and there'd be a lot of moaning and groaning about food and water and shelter, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of fair, right? Okay, so it's, it's harsh, It's hard, it's rugged, it's exactly where God took them and they're now back where they started in this Kadesh. This is where in the beginning when they sent the spies to check out the land and 10 came back like, there's no way. These guys are huge, we can't do this. And two, remember Joshua and Caleb were like, oh, we got this because God's gonna do this. But I want you to feel What's happening here? I want you to feel the power of legacy all morning and the power of consequences all morning, the power of decisions all morning, because these 10 men set in motion the destiny of an entire nation for 40 years. You think about it. That report that came back, not of faith, but of fear, set in motion the destiny of two million people that got to camp out there for a really long time. And we look at what Moses is about to do. I want us to feel the under the banner of grace, but I want us to feel the power of consequence and the power of decision, the power of, of one step after the next and what that does behind us in our, in our own lives. And so crazy thing about the book of Numbers We don't know a lot about what happens between years two and now. It's just unknown, but it's a lot of that. It's a lot of the same old, same old Groundhog Day of spinning in the desert, not getting it, not hearing, not learning the lesson, but notice what it says at the end of the, the, the verse, and Miriam died there and was buried there. So this is Moses' big sis. And we're going to unpack this a mo- more in a moment. But just, just know she's the only woman named in all of this generation that's died in the wilderness. The whole older generation that's passed. She's the one woman. And she was, you know, remember she's the big sis with the whole, you know, all that. You know, getting Moses in the water and taking her taking him. And prophetess, song leader. She was an amazing lady. But like Moses, not a hero. Because everybody in the scripture, the good to the bad, all of them are fallen and need a savior. And that's the point of the text today is to show us as amazing as Moses' life was, in this one moment where he he just loses it, and there's a tremendous consequence involved. And it says in verse 2, there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's no, there's no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Does this sound familiar? I'm not rereading the text. It sounds familiar because it's repeated over and over and over. It's the same song, second verse from Exodus 17. No water, they complain, God does a great thing. But they've taken a step that is, it's subtle, but it's, it's huge. I'm going to read verse five again. Why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? They didn't say that last time. This evil place, they are saying, listen listen how thin this ice is. They are saying that the the place and the plan and the purposes of God are evil because they're saying this place, they're where they are because of the Lord's leadership, because he's leading them, disciplining them, and all that, but they've just said this evil place is bad, it's awful, and it's like... It's this past rhetorical question, now, why'd you bring us out here? This place is is just plain evil. So Moses and Aaron do what they've always done. Look at verse 6. They went out from the place of the assembly, of the presence of the assembly, to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and they fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying this. Take the staff... And assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. All right. That's it. Check it out. Three things. Take the staff, get everybody together, speak to the rock. You got three things. You're like, you got one job. Here you go. You got three, you got three things. Get the stick, get everybody together. Talk to the rock, right? Okay, verse 10. Verse nine. Moses takes the staff from before the Lord as he commanded them. And then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. So, so far so good, right? He's done it. He's gotten a stick, gets everybody together. It all falls apart here. Moses and Aaron gathers them and he says to them, to them, to who? To them, not the rock. He's not talking to the rock, he's talking to them. And he says, here now, you rebels, Okay, here, here is uh, Shema, as in Deuteronomy 6, when he says, hear, O Israel. There's a hearing in Hebrew and in Greek that has a, a sense of, of hearing slash listening that does something. It's not just like, oh, I hear this, and it's just white noise and static. It's like, I hear this, and I'm gonna respond to it. I'm gonna respond to this thing. And so he is saying to them, as he did to the nation But it's it's so harsh, it's so hard. The people that he loved, he now calls losers, right? He says, you rebels. I see, one of the surest signs of a pastor's calling to a church is a love for the people of the church and the community in which he lives. It's a part of the call. When I was on staff at my last church, when I was an associate, there was another fellow on staff with me we were, we were both associates, and he hated it. He was always demeaning the city and was always demeaning the culture of our church and the, talking bad about this and that. And I remember thinking one day, he's not going to be here long because he's not supposed to be here because God gives you a love for people where he calls you. It's just a part of the deal, right? And he wasn't there long. And you hear this in Moses. All of a sudden, this man who was just For them before God. Remember, remember, was it last week or the week before? And he says, Take my life instead of theirs. I mean, he just loved them, but this is where he is. He's like, hey, listen up, you bunch of stiff-necked rebel losers, right? And maybe he threw out some, some other Hebrew trash talk while he was with them. But he was just mad. He was fired up and he was angry. And he says, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Do you see where, where this, is, th- this is scary as well? Who, who's getting the water out of the rock? We? Like me and Aaron? Or, or God through us? Because remember in chapter 12, Moses was called the most meek man on the earth. He was the meekest guy in the world. And he's gone from this, this humility to this you bunch of rebels. I guess I'm going to have to do this for you. You know, I did it back there. All of a sudden, humility seems far, far away. And, and arrogance seems to have settled on him in his anger. And this is a great lesson in that anger clouds our judgment, Right? Anger causes us to see things and to think things that just aren't, aren't there. You know, when you, when, you, when you sometimes read about crimes of passion, when someone has harmed somebody else, they're like, I just blacked out. I didn't know what I did. Because anger makes you think and see and feel things that just aren't, aren't part of your normal way. And Moses is on fire and not in the right way. I recommended a book a few years ago, and I'll say it again, Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. It's a great book, and he talks about righteous anger and all the other angers. And he says, in life, we get mad all the time, and we say it's righteous anger, when it oftentimes it's not. It's just, we're just mad. And it's not righteous. But we make ourselves feel better by getting all fired up because we can say it's righteous anger. And Moses is really ticked off. And he lifts his hands and he, hand and he strikes the rock in, in the staff, with the staff twice. And God in his grace allows water to come forth. So remember this rock, and we'll talk about this more later, represents Christ. And he's striking it and it's as if in his anger, he's striking the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God. He's so clouded in this moment. He's so off in this moment. But again, not to give him a pass, but to give context and understanding to why he was so like this. His big sis had just died. Okay? He's grieving. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's tired of being blamed for everything that goes wrong. And it's not like a little party of 20 or 2,000. It's 2 million folks. And year after year after year after year, getting them through disaster after disaster. And he's continually interceding for them to, to the point of, you know, take my life, not theirs. And for all of this, all of this life, all of this 40 years, he just gets more grief. Why did you bring us out here? what are you doing? And so finally, he explodes. He just, he just loses it. He blows up and he just, he goes off on them. And this isn't the first time we've seen Moses mad. We think of Moses as the most meek man on earth, but remember in chapter two of Exodus, he, he killed the Egyptian, remember? In chapter 11, it says after he pronounced the, the plague on the firstborn, he left Pharaoh angry, mad, fired up, in chapter 32, when he came down he seized the golden calf, he was so mad he destroyed the tablets with the commandments. Moses had this, this fire inside of him, this anger inside of him, and yet he was called the most meek man on earth. What is up with that? How is that even possible? It's because he, like all the other characters of the Old Testament, are not superheroes. He is not a part of the Marvel pantheon. He is a man that God used in amazing ways. And he was a pointer to someone else because with all of the good that he did, he was broken and he was flawed and he got fired up and he did. He he didn't do exactly as the Lord said. As I started, listen closely to what I'm going to say. Take the stick, get everybody together and talk to the rock. He got the stick and got everybody together and then just went off on them and he hit the rock rather than speaking to it. Great lesson embedded there too—that God moves as He sovereignly wills and chooses to move. And Moses might have thought, "Hey, man, last time I hit the rock and it—you know, worked. I'm gonna hit it again. I'll hit it twice. I'm doing it in anger, but I'm just replicating what we did last time." In chapter 17. And we err when we begin to presume upon God and how He's going to move and work in our lives. You know, the Word is consistent, and He'll never contradict His Word, of course but in the freshness and the wisdom and the creativity of who he is. Maybe he's not gonna do in your life what he did last time in that last season. Maybe he's gonna do something new and fresh and different. And we need to have the humility and, and the discernment and the ears to listen to say, so, oh, we're, doing, we're going this way this time. I could well, last time we took the left fork, we're gonna take the right fork. Okay, because if he's on that path, that's where you wanna be. Just because he did it that way last time, if he's not on that path, that's not where you want to be. You want to be where he is, right? And so Moses is just taking things into his own hands and doing what he wants to do. And so in verse 12, it says, listen to this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, you shall not bring the assembly into the land that I've given them. Imagine how disappointing that was. He's gonna to get to look over in there from Mount Pisgah. He's gonna to get to look, but Joshua is gonna take them all because of that one decision. You go, gosh, that's harsh. Like it just seems like over the top, right? If you're just looking at it from this, this perspective. But it says in verse 13 that these are the waters of Meribah, which means quarreling, where the people quarreled with the Lord and through them he showed himself holy, holy. And somebody has, has said, it, it's a tragedy. He was able to get Israel out of Egypt in one night, but was unable to get Egypt out of them in 40 years. And it's this picture of our own sanctification journey that we walk on and, and how we respond to him and how we listen to him and do what he says and follow in him. But again, Moses is a tremendous example that as great as he was, he was a pointer to Christ and that his decision had consequences. Now, here's, here's what I want you to hear. There are two sides of this coin when you think about life and decisions and consequences. When we make mistakes and we do dumb things and we sin, can we be forgiven? Are we forgiven if we ask for forgiveness? Absolutely. He is a God who is merciful and gracious, Right? But sometimes those decisions that we've made have consequences that, that are just there and they don't go away. We can live the rest of our lives forgiven, but we live forgiven in the midst of the consequence that that transpired because of it. You've heard me say before, maybe if you're a guest, you've not. I I think about this so often because this is year 36 for me now in ministry, and, and I, I want to finish well. I want by God's grace. I want to finish well, because like you, I've seen so many pastors flame out and do, you know, just dumb things, and others who finish with honor, and there's a lot more of them. We just see these. These are the ones that make the news, but there are thousands of godly men who get to the finish line with honor because of God's grace, right? But what I think about often is the power that my life has as a pastor for good and for evil that when I choose to follow in the ways of the Lord, that my life, I would want to be a blessing to you as a teacher of God's word and as shepherd and as a friend. But conversely and equally, is that if I do something stupid, sinfully, there are consequences that could harm you and cause people to question their faith and all the things that happen when a pastor does things like that. And so that gives me a healthy fear of the Lord and how I lose, live, live, live my life. And that's true for you, too. It's not just about me, because you have wives and husbands and kids. You have parents. You have co-workers. You have people that work for you. You have neighbors. And as a follower of Christ, your life and your decisions that you make have tremendous consequence. And we just... Together pray for the grace of God that the ripples that are on the ponds of our lives are all ones of grace and mercy and truth and faithfulness and all that. That Jesus is made much of through our lives together. Because as we see with Moses, our decisions have consequences. And God is so kind and good and gracious even in the hard places to bring good in them. But they're still there. He's faithful. Because remember, Moses, it says in John 1, through Moses came the law. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So Moses was pointing us somewhere. And as Justin read earlier, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ nevertheless with most of them god was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did so back to the listen to me carefully listen to I really closely Because you could say, it's really not that big of a deal. Moses almost did what God said. Remember the first part? He got the stick and he got ready together. He kind of sort of did what God said. "Eh, That's not right. (laughs) It's Like, there is a total, complete obedience or a rejection of that. Years ago, when my son, who's 32, was in middle school, he was doing a science experiment at home with his best friend, J.D. They'd seen their teacher make a cell at, at school. And so we we bought candle wax, and so they put the candle wax on the pot, and they, they heated it up, and they were going to, as it melted, they were going to put these things in it and create like a, a cell in, for science. And so they didn't realize that their teacher had heated it very slowly, and they just put it on high like two seventh grade boys, and uh, it exploded, <laughs> and... It caught our kitchen on fire. Our house was burning. I come home. I'm turning the corner, you know, just an ordinary day, and two giant fire trucks in front of my house. And and uh, everybody was okay, And but it was it was like, oh, my goodness. Um, they had been told, don't do this at home when mom and dad aren't here, right? They're, they're doing this with no parental supervision. I admire their initiative, but I did not admire their... Doing it when we weren't at home, right? Zach kind of listened to me and kind of did what I asked him to do. Was that the right approach, or was it, "Hey, buddy, listen real carefully. Don't ever do sell things at home when I'm not there, <laughs> right? Because the consequence was we lost our kitchen, <laughs> and so Does it matter that God said, get your stick, get everybody together and talk to the rock? Does it matter that when God says to you, when you're in the word and he speaks to you from the word and gives you direction, that you follow the word just like he said? Do you think God in his infinite wisdom needs you or me to add to it? Like, oh, that's a good word, Lord, but if you just add that phrase right there, that'd be awesome. No, no. Perfect God gave us his perfect word, and he wants us to follow him out of a love relationship with him. So I want us, with humility and honesty, bow before him and pray through this text right now. Father, we bow now before you, and we thank you that you are clear in your word. That just as you spoke to Moses with clarity, that you continue to speak to us with clarity. And so, Father, would, would you forgive us when we want to add or dis, uh, subtract from the word? And I want to ask you, friends, if the Lord has spoken to you from the text today about something, about obedience to the word, about hearing the word and living the word, if there's any promise, if there's any challenge, anything in the text, I want you to talk to the Father about that for a moment, would you? Would you? Go for it, church. And secondly, is there there, there a step, is there one step, one action that you're going to take because of this word today as it relates to the word, about the power of consequence, the heart of obedience, whatever it was from the text. What one thing are you going to do tomorrow morning, this afternoon, this week because of it? Talk to the Father, would you? Go for it. And Father, finally, if there is anyone in this room or worshiping online that has never taken the step of faith to trust Jesus as Savior, Moses' life makes sense right now. That he was a great man, but he was a flawed man who needed Jesus just like us. And so Father, we confess together, Jesus is Lord. I believe that you raised him from the dead. I believe that he took my sins on the cross that he was sinless and bore my sins and that I can be forgiven. And I am. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit right now? I choose to follow you the rest of my days on this earth. In Jesus' name.